Let's, let's look at a review here in Matthew chapter 18. I want to put this together uh, to some degree. There was a lot of parables in the book of Matthew, wasn't there? And, and there, you know, Jesus goes methodically through and he explains some things to his disciples and other things he, uh, he does kind of leaves out there. But look at this particular parable. It says in verse 21, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Seven times pretty good. You know, number of completion. Amen. I, seven times. That's a nice number, Jesus. Verse 22, he says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times 70, or in other words, an infinite amount of forgiveness towards people. Now, Peter is a man's man. Peter, you know, I have met people like Peter where you do them wrong and they have a list. They keep, they stick with it. You know what I mean? They, you, no, no. There's somebody I work for right now. I was talking with him one day. He doesn't work directly in my office, but he works in one of the main offices. And we were talking. He was like, no, this one did this to me back and da, 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 da. And I was like, man, you, you got like this record of, of people that did you wrong. And that, that's a little strange. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if you are like this with them and you're telling me about it, how do I get on that list? What, what happens one day when I do something wrong and I make the list? Well. Sure enough, about two weeks ago, it looked like we had an issue. I ain't heard from him since. And I'm just like, Lord, did one of my other coworkers that works in my office, like, did we make the list? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, because I don't know that he told them they were on the list. Point being is, this is not how believers are supposed to operate. He says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times. And then he goes into this parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. He said, all right, I'm going to bring everybody in. We're going to have an accountant about the stuff that y'all owe us. Verse 24, he says, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master order, now notice this. If we had this kind of collections today, Lord Jesus, <laughs> this is rough. He brought his, uh, he said he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay his debt. So now you owe money. And because you can't pay, they come after your family. Now, I'll submit to you, we don't do this today, but there's a lot of similarity in regards to this. It's part of the reason why we got to get our credit together. Because if your name is not good, it does impact your wife. It does impact your children. It impacts everybody that's attached to you because you can't do what God told you to do because your name's not right. Let's keep going. Verse 26. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. And I will pay it all. Man made a good stride at it. We have not because you ask not. Then his master was filled with pity for him. And notice it says he released him and forgave his debts. That's a good master. He had pity on him. It didn't say he released him and said, you go work it out. He said he forgave his debts, all of them. This man owed millions of dollars. And he said, you know what a lot of people are looking for, wanted Joe to do, right? Debt free for all your student loans. 
This man, this king did this for this guy. He said, I've released you of all of your debts. Verse number 28 says, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Now clearly that's a lot less than millions. He grabbed him by the throat and he determined, he demanded, I'm sorry, uh, instant payment. He grabbed him up. So this is a violent situation, altercation. He said, I need my money. I need my money. I need my money right now. Verse 29 says, his fellow servants fell down, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little while, more and more, more times, I'm sorry, be patient with me. I pray it. I pleaded, he pleaded. Verse 30, his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. So he's essentially doing the same thing he just did. And yet, this guy who was forgiven much did not forgive the person that owed him money. And this is something because, again, I've seen this in, in, in because I've been around for a little while. People will owe their credit card a lot of money, but they'll press somebody else for 20 bucks. I need my 20 bucks. I need my money. I need my money. Okay, when you got that call just a little while from Chase, they were saying the same thing. But you want grace. Now, let's keep going. <clears throat> been living a little while now. 31. It says, and when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king. So somebody went and told because they saw this, this encounter. They knew about it. When you get forgiven of a lot, people know about it. Okay? So they went and they told his supervisor. And he says, and they went and told the king and told him everything that he had done. Verse 32. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you of a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, you should have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you. Verse 34, then the angry king sent a man, sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the debt. Verse 35, he says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. In other words, God who forgives us of much expects us to be forgiving people. Now, that's easier said than done, particularly if somebody owes you a large amount of money. Thousands of dollars meant something to the servant. It might be a big issue in which you know somebody has done you wrong, but God says, if I forgave you, I suspect that you will pass that forgiveness on to someone else. Let's flip back because we are concluding the month of, of August and see what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 1. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Yeah, see mine. Everybody loves that scripture, particularly when they sin it. <laughs> That's the go-to. <laughs> because they like things out of context. <laughs> he says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. That doesn't mean judgment does not exist. He says, you don't be the one essentially that is passing judgment on people as if you have the ability to condemn their life. This is essentially what it means from the Greek, which means you in your mind have taken on the position of the judge and you are rendering judgment against the one saying you are condemned for life. You, you know what you did, right? 
go, go away. And you will never, ever, ever be seen as anything except what you were to me years ago. He says, verse number two, for you will be treated as you treat others. You will be treated. So if that's what you want to do, he says, you can expect that you're going to receive a harvest of people treating you that exact same way. Then he says, the standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Okay, back to the parable. He was judged by the same lack of mercy or grace that he showed to his servant. And what God wants us to understand is you set the standard of judgment in your life. In fact, in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says before you take communion that a man should judge himself. You need to look at what's going on in your own life before you start rendering judgment on other people. When people have done you wrong, if God has ever forgiven you of anything and he's telling you, I want you to forgive and let that thing go, then you should be willing to do so. But a lot of us say, but Lord, what they did was worse than what I did. What are you doing? The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So whatever standard you set, that's how God says you're going to be judged in your own life. Amen. All right. That's Matthew. In the month of, of uh, September, we're going to look at Romans. All right. Now, we've been talking about favor and looking at favor. I cannot go over everything that we've already talked about uh, thus far, other, but we're going to review to say that favor means delight. It means pleasure. It means goodwill. It means acceptance. It means to show approval, praise, particular, particularity, an inclination. It means to honor. Now, uh, let's go here. I need to get here. We said it means the blessing. It means to empower. We said, how do you become blessed? It means that you embrace the new, which is sanctification. It means you go where God sends you, which is obedience. Amen. Very good. So we said the blessing is an empowerment from God to function and to prosper within God's determined will. Now, on Sunday, we looked at this, the nature of favor. And we talked about this for the last two weeks. It can be obvious and apparent. It also can be subtle and it can be vague. And we indicated this on Sunday that the nature of favor is rooted in the goodness of God. And it's important that we understand and have faith in God's goodness within our lives. We said on Sunday that God is good. His nature is goodness. He's not good because you feel like he's good. He's always good. Always good. Everything about God is good. And you got to get that settled on the inside of you. You might have had a bad day. You might have had things go against you. God is not your problem. He's always, always good. He is good. Everything God created was in and for the good. We saw that in Genesis uh, chapter 1 um, and verse 31 where it says, And God, after he created everything, God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the, sixth, and the evening and the sixth were... Uh, the sixth day. We said original evil is the corrupting of the force or the corrupting force of the good. Evil is the corruption of the good. The devil cannot create anything. So what he does is he takes the good that God has and he corrupts it. That's what we see within the world. What is the corruption of hell? 
sickness. What is the corruption of prosperity? Poverty. He takes something that God has created for good and he corrupts it. And one of the ways he does so is with willing participants, like people that work for him. Okay? Number four, what you submit to is what you empower within your life. You want to see God's goodness within your life, then you need to submit to the will and the counsel and the purpose of God and not that of the devil. And number five, we said, God will never force his goodness on anyone. It must be chosen as an act of faith. This is why we spend so much time talking about faith. He says, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. He says in Deuteronomy, I have called heaven and earth to record against you this uh, <clears throat> to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses, cursing. Therefore, choose life that ye or that both thou and thy seed may live. He says this to Israel in the wilderness. I'm setting before you the option. And I submit to you, everybody in your life, everybody that you see in your life, everything that has to do with your life personally is living in seed time and harvest. You are receiving the harvest of the seeds that you sowed yesterday. If you don't like the current harvest that you are experiencing, then you gotta examine changing the things that you are currently doing. Am I doing the same thing or am I sowing new seeds? Yes, sir. All right, let's look back at these 11 favor. All right, now we looked at Noah in favor, yes? Now I want you to notice again, the favor of God produces rescue and safety from destruction. Now, one of the key elements in regards to this I want to point out to you is that God declares that Noah walks in favor, but God or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace before he did anything. A lot of times, you know, God declares you to have favor before you see favor. And there is, there is this continuity within the scriptures where God says, you're favored. Okay. But Noah has to have 120 years before he really sees, oh, wow, my family was favored of God. So again, that's the reason why I'm saying, don't get upset when you start declaring, I walk in the favor of God, and you see the contradiction. It is something that is normative and within scripture. We looked at Joseph in favor as well, same situation. The scripture indicates to us that he increased, yeah, favor produced increase and promotion. He says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight Notice this, sight of the keepers of the prison. In other words, he still was in prison though. Okay, let's be very clear on that. He was in prison, but God says that he showed him favor. So God can show you favor even in the contradiction. In the contradiction of I'm in prison, but God says you're favored. This doesn't seem to be working, but God says you're favored. Favor means that the opportunity is going to come if you stick with his program. He says, verse 22, and the keeper of the jail committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison and whatsoever they did, um, they, they, um, whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Verse 23 says, the keeper of the prison looked not at anything that was under his hands because the Lord was with him. So in other words, the warden said, no, anything that man does, man, works. We're good. We'll leave him alone. He, it's happening. Because the Lord with him. And, and that which he did, the Lord made to prosper. Now, we said on Sunday again, 
that sometimes when we look at favor, we are again continuously, when we look at the nature of favor, we are looking for the extraordinary and sometimes we're missing the supernatural. Those little areas where God has his hand on your life, he's doing certain things in your life, and if you are not careful, you'll miss it. The hand of God, what does that smell? <laughs> Y'all smell something? Okay, maybe it's me. <laughs> maybe something came through my door. There is a door back on that side. Hmm? Hmm? Yeah. Like a sweet burning light, like, like, you know, <laughs> in the wrong way. That's why it caught my attention. <laughs> uh, amen. All right, let's keep going. All right, now I want you to take a look at this. Let's look at Moses in favor. Moses in favor. I'm giving you all these scriptures because this is how we have faith for favor. Moses in favor is restoration from everything the enemy has stolen from you. Restoration from everything the enemy has stolen from you. Look at this in uh, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Verse 21, it says, And I will give this people, notice the term, favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when you go, ye shall not go empty. Verse 22. But every woman shall borrow. Another translation says take. Every woman shall borrow his, of his neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house. Jewels and of, of silver and, I'm sorry, jewels and of silver and jewels of gold and remnant. And ye shall put them upon thy, your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Now, the Amplified says it like this, I will grant you, or I will grant this people favor and respect in the sight of the Egyptians. Well, in this sense, the Egyptians represent the people that have been oppressing them. And he says, I'm going to grant you favor in the sight of the people that have been oppressing you. Therefore, it shall be that when you go, you will not go out empty handed. And of course, it goes to the litany of things that we just read in the King James Version. The word restoration also is linked to this word reparations. Reparations. This is not a word that Dr. Bell came up with in critical race theory. Reparations is in scripture. He says, all right. You have been impressed by your taskmasters. And he says, it is not wrong for you. In fact, this is a righteous cause for you to go get the wealth that belongs to you because of the servitude that you've experienced for the last few years. Restoration, reparation is within the scripture. You say, well, I don't, how so? The word reparation means to pay for the damages or expenses called by another nation. That is what it means. It means compensation given for the abuse or injury. It means to make amends. It, ain't mean, it doesn't mean just say, my bad, I'm sorry. No, it means to fix it. You, Egypt, gain a lot of money from these folks serving and working for free. You, a righteous God, says, 
Get the wealth because you need to pay these folks that have been working for you for free. It ain't, y'all just free now, you're going about your business, we keep the wealth. That's not godly. That's not justice. He says compensation for the abuse of injury. It means to make amends for a wrong one has done by paying to the other to, to or otherwise helping those who have been wrong. Now, Let's do a little bit of a Bible study. <clears throat> Psalms 89 and verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. He's speaking about God. A lot of people love the, again, we started this morning, this morning, Lord have mercy, this afternoon talking about the different concepts about God. A lot of people love the righteousness part, but they gloss over the fact that he is also a God of justice doing what is right. You can't have righteousness if you don't have justice. He says righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Now, in order to not go through all of these scriptures that I want to, to prove this, let's back up and look at this. He says to the women, I want you to go get the silver and gold. I've heard preachers say that he told the women to go get it because men have a tendency to, to maybe punk out once they saw the sword. I want the women to go get it because they wasn't going to be intimidated by all these men and all these weapons they had. You go get the money and bring it on back to camp. Well, where did the silver and gold come from? It came directly from the favor of God that was on Joseph's life. The reason why Joseph was promoted to the palace was because of God's hand on his life. And because of his hand on his life and the wisdom that he operated in, that is what allowed Egypt to grow in their prosperity. Where did that favor come from Joseph? It came from the blessing of God that was on Jacob. Where did the blessing come from Jacob? It came from the blessing of God, which is the favor of God that was on Isaac. And it also came from the favor and the blessing of God that was on their granddad, Abraham. So the wealth that we saw in Egypt was a result of the favor of God that came from Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and to Joseph's life. And all of the children surrounding the children of Jacob, which eventually became Israel. Y'all with me? All right. Now, let's take a look at this. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, 13 through 14. Out of the New International Version of the Bible says, Then the Lord said to him, he's talking about Abraham. He says to Abraham, after he gets done cutting the covenant. So this, let me just read this. He says, Then the Lord said to him, Know this for certain, out of the New International Version, that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Verse 14 says, but I will notice the term punish the nation. They serve as slaves. What do we say reparations was? To pay back the nation, right? He says in verse uh, 14, I will punish the nation that serves uh, the nation, they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Afterwards. So he says to Abraham, after he cuts the covenant with him, what's going to pathetically happen in this nation of Egypt? 
He says, your children for 400 years will be oppressed, but after it's all over, they're gonna come out with great possessions. And so what we see is that the favor of God produced for them restoration from everything that the enemy has stolen from them. Now, I'm only pointing at this because the concept of reparations, paying back somebody, is in the scriptures. And historically, the portion of scriptures that I read to you with this restoration were cut out of the slave Bible because they didn't want the slaves seeing this part of the Exodus story. In fact, the slave Bible kind of gives you maybe the very beginning, I want to say Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and then it just drops. <laughs> and you don't see nothing about crossing the Red Sea, let my people go, none of these things. But obviously these slaves got a hold of the word of God and that's why they started singing about the scriptures and singing songs like, tell old Pharaoh, let my people go, because the slaves were more uh, uh, were more cunning than, uh, than people thought. One of the most famous ones is this Nat Turner. Yes, we understand that he did butcher some folks, but one of the things about his story that always struck me is that the reason why he butchered them is because he was a preacher and he could read and he looked in the scriptures and he saw all of the places that were cut out of the slave Bible as opposed to what's in the scriptures and he said, this is not right. And he righteous calls, he said, we gotta fix this. Did he go about it the right way? I wouldn't, I don't know. <laughs> now that's debatable. But that was in fact one of the reasons why he did have the revolt because of the fact he saw the justice of God was that people were not supposed to be enslaved. Any questions on that? Let's keep going. All right. All right. Favor also produces. Now, I want you to look at this because we're still talking about Moses and the story of Egypt and the story of the Exodus. But it produces honor in the midst of adversities. Exodus chapter 11. The scripture says, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, now notice this. This has always struck me. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. And notice he says, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Now, Moses is the leader of the revolt. But yet, the Bible says that the Lord gave him favor in the sight of the Egyptians. He's the one that's going down with Aaron and saying, let my people go. There's going to be these plagues, all of these things. And yet, they still favored him. Pharaoh didn't, but the people did. You know, God has a way that when you walk in his favor, that people that should not like you will like you. People that should not be for you will be for you because his favor on Moses' life Calls the people to have a high regard for Moses in their own sight. Now, the Amplified Version of the Bible says this, and it says, and the Lord gave the people favor, he gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was greatly esteemed, greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of, the, of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people, the Egyptians. So yeah, some people will look at you while you are at work and say, I can't stand her, but I something about I like. The contradiction is real. Man, she get on my nerves. Yeah, we're gonna do anything she say. 
Man, what, what's going on with him? I tell you what. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, we don't even like the way she looked. We don't like the way he talked. None of this. Do you like working for him? Yeah, love it. <laughs> favor of God. Favor of God. Why? Because, again, favor is about accomplishing the will of God. Favor that God places on your life is never about vanity. It's about accomplishing what God wants done in the place where he sets you. Notice this, Proverbs chapter 18, I mean 16 and verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes, and he used the word, even his enemies to be at peace with him. When I please God, I through my, my, my obedience and my sanctification, even my enemies will have peace with me. They'll, they'll, I don't know why, but we got to bless them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, we don't like him, but we got to be good to him. Because when your ways please the Lord, the favor God rests on your life, that he'll cause your enemies to still have a high regard and have a high esteem for you. This is part of the reason why we've got to start believing God for his favor. Stop agreeing with other people when they say, well, it's going to be rough out here. No, I walk in the favor of God. I used to uh, go out into uh, to different homes for right away. And I did so, our job has kind of shifted over the last couple of years. And of course, I'm now in management, so I don't go out as much. But one of the things I used to say all the time is I walk in the favor of God. I believe God for his favor. Now, some of my coworkers have horrendous stories of how people cuss them, slam out. How this happened there. How that happened here. I worked for years. I never cussed out. I never had a problem with anybody. Because I would say before I got out of my car, I thank you, God, I walk in the favor of God. I thank you, Lord, that everything that's set against me will be set right. I thank you, Lord, they'll see you and not see me. I thank you, Lord, that I'm in my purpose, I'm in my assignment, and I take authority or every demonic force that will come against the assignment of God before I walked in the house. So if you were an enemy today, you're going to be at peace with me. When I give you this letter and tell you this is how much we're going to offer you and you don't like it. I've had people look at the offer that we give and, and they say, man, what is this? But we walk out just good friends. Never had a problem. The favor of God. No, I ain't got to get cussed out at work. Stop confessing. They cuss everybody out here. No, not me. I walk in the favor of God. I'm starting to believe something. No, you might have had a problem at every ticket counter. You might have had a problem all down here. But when you come over here with me, we're going to have peace. Because if you come over here as an enemy, the Lord will cause you to be at peace with me. Because I walk in the favor of God. Okay? This is why we are talking about this. Because we got to start believing God for the supernatural above the natural. Stop agreeing with uncarnal Folks, God, if God be with you, okay? Number five, favor produces increased assets. Favor produces increased assets. <clears throat> the scripture that is used is Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 23, and it says, And Natali, he said, of Natali satisfied with favor and full with the blessing of the Lord, possesses thou the west and the south. In other words, the tribe of Natali possessed, because of the favor of God, possessions of the west and of the south. Now there's a lot we could say about that, but I'm not for the sake of time. The Lord, now let's look at this. <laughs> Since we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 28, 
Let's drop down uh, the new, new life version. It says, the Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens. He will give rain to your land at the right time. He will bring, notice the term, good to all the work you do. You will give to many nations, but you will not use anything that belongs to them. In other words, he says, out of the King James, you will be a lender and not a borrower. God wants to put us in a position that we are lenders and not borrowers, that people will come to you because they can be blessed by your life and your resources, that we are a channel of good and not people to con continuously having our hands out. Number six, I'm moving, I'm moving for the sake of time. Number six, favor of God produces great victories in the midst of great impossibility. The favor of God will produce in your life great victories in the midst of great impossibilities. Joshua 11, verse number 20. I'll slow down just a little bit here. <clears throat> it says, For it was the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded. All right, what's going on in this story is essentially that Joshua and the nation of Israel are outnumbered. But yet, the Lord God moved on his enemies that they wouldn't have any favor. Well, no favor means they still wanted to attack them. The reason why God made them to want to attack them is because he was getting ready to rout those that were coming against the nation of Israel. Sometimes in our lives, see, this is what I wanted to pause here and talk about in regards to this, this particular kind of favor. See, sometimes we think favor produces no conflict, but sometimes conflict is a righteous thing that God brings about because he wants to show himself strong in a situation. Maybe that's the reason why you can't get away from that one, you can't get away from this one, because God says, I need the conflict. Because the conflict allows them to see themselves. And because you are standing in righteousness and because I am making my favor show, you think that because you don't have any favor with them that you must be missing God. When in reality, the reason why you have no favor is because God is ordering the conflict. And in this situation right here, God wanted the battle because he wanted to rout those that were coming against the cause of God. Now, notice this. <clears throat> Is that all I got there? Yeah, for the sake of time. Let's keep going. Number, was that? Number seven. Was that number six? Was that number six before that? Man, I'm running. Okay. Number seven. Favor produces recognition even when it seems least likely that you would receive it. The favor of God will produce recognition even when it seems least likely that you would receive it. Everybody remember this man named David, right? David was the least likely to receive recognition, but yet he did. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he was loved, and he loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. David goes from the back to the front because God's favor brought him forward. Notice this, verse number 22. And Saul sent sent to Jesse saying, let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. 
David, in a matter of years, goes from an unknown shepherd boy to a nation prominence as a victorious conqueror. He goes from obscurity to notoriety because of the favor of God. God's favor in your life will produce recognition even when it seems least likely that you would receive it when you do it his way. Y'all with me? All right, let's look at one more and we're going to call it for this evening. Let's look at Esther and favor. I know we are running through the Bible a little bit in this Bible study. Esther and favor. Favor produces prominence or distinction or in preferred treatment. The favor of God produces prominence, distinction, and preferred treatment. Let's look at one more. Like I said, we'll stop here. The scripture says out of Esther chapter 2 and verse 17, and the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in the sight, in his sight more than all the virgins. So he uh, set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now, how many of y'all remember the story of Esther? Okay, that's all right. So we'll be reading Esther in one of these months, too. <laughs> it's a powerful book. Powerful, powerful, powerful book. The Cliff Note, Cliff Note version of the book of Esther is essentially that Vashti was the queen of, of the region. And she fell out of grace with Nebuchadnezzar. No, I'm sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Xerxes. And so Xerxes said, okay, we're going to get rid of you. And I'm going to find a new wife. And so what he did is he's, he had a call. His, his elder said, well, why don't you just call for all the virgins in the uh, community to come before you so you can name yourself a new queen. So all of these women everywhere came and they went through, a, I think, a year to a year and a half of treatments and beauty treatments. And then Xerxes came out to choose the one that he wanted as his, as his wife. And this is where the scripture essentially picks us up that when he saw Esther, that she had prominence and preferred treatment because the grace and favor in his sight was there above all the other versions. And she moved once again, just like David, from obscurity into the throne room because of God's favor. Now, I want you to notice this because this is where we're going to close for this evening. Just like with David, just like with David, Esther does not come into the kingdom for vanity purposes. God setting her up to be a blessing to other people. I cannot say this enough in this series because one of the issues that I'm hearing in the body of Christ is that, is that people equate favor to luck. People equate favor to, 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 to forms of vanity. Well, why did you get that job? Because I walk in the favor of God. Yes, if God gave you the job and because of his favor, it wasn't just for you, it's for what the assignment was when he sent you there. The issue that we have a lot of times is we're believing for favor, but it isn't for anybody else but for yourself. The favor of God, the prominence and preferred treatment was because God was setting up somebody with a pure heart to be a blessing to other people. 
the prominence, the issue of bringing you before greatness like David was because God wanted to change the nation back to a stance of righteousness. The favor of God that he wants to release on your life for that business, for that school, for that thing that he has in your heart is because he wants to do something through you. It is not for your vanity. And until we get the right perspective, God says, I got to take you through steps. I got to take you through steps and stages and stages and steps because I'm maturing you so that when you get there, it will be about me and not about you.